listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Wow, listeners, I can't believe we're almost at the end of 2023. This episode will be the last new interview I put out till next year, which really is just a few weeks away, but saying next year makes it sound so far off. Next week, I hope to republish one of our Grieving During the Holidays episodes from past years, but if that doesn't happen, just know we'll be back in January. While I didn't intend for my conversation with Dina Gashman to close out 2023, it ended up being the perfect one for this time of year. Dina's mom died of cancer in 2018. Less than three years later, her sister died of alcohol use. In that short period of time, Dina went from someone with a distant view of grief to someone fully immersed in it. As a career journalist, Dina turned to research and writing as one of the ways she tried to orient herself during such a disorienting time. Dina's research and writing turned into a book of essays called So Sorry for Your Loss, How I Learned to Live with Grief and Other Grave Concerns. The essays explore so many aspects of grief, including how to get off a plane when you've just gotten the news that your sister died, what to say when your young child asks, can we call grandma? What it's like when the reality of hospice does not live up to the expectation of a peaceful transition with 24-hour care, and how dark humor can help with all of it. I really loved this interview with Dina and getting to learn more about her mom, her sister, and the ways she's found to traverse the landscape of grief, including how to weather what she calls grief-induced emotional avalanches. Okay, listeners, thanks as always for being part of this community. And I'm hoping that you're finding whatever type of support or solace or comfort or care or entertainment or distraction or whatever you might need during this time of year. All right, here's my conversation with Dina. Dina, thank you for coming on Grief Out Loud today and for being so patient with me since you sent me your book many months ago, (laughs) though I'm really excited to talk about your story and your book and, and connect. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. How do memories of your mom and your sister affect you now, almost like five and two years after their deaths? You know, I think like many people who live with grief will understand. I I mean, I think about them every single day. I mean, if a day went by and I didn't, that would be very strange. So I actively, they're actively on my mind. Um, There was just something that struck me as, as funny yesterday. And I just thought, God, I wish I could tell my sister that. And so I stay connected with them that way, but it's less painful, I guess now, you know, two and five years down the road, it doesn't wreck me like it would in those early days and and weeks and months. So I can think about memories of them and, and, and actively go back and go back to times that we had. And it, and it, although it makes me melancholy, it doesn't just wreck me for the day. I think that's gotten a little bit better. Um, And I, and I try to keep their memories alive. I have a six-year-old son who, you know, he's not going to remember either of them. He was about 13 months when my mom died. So I actively kind of bring as many memories as I can up for him 
And I feel like that's, it just helps me stay connected to them. And then it hopefully will, although he won't know them, kind of give him some memories, if that makes sense. Is there a way, and I'm really glad you're you're bringing this up, because I think it's something that catches a lot of people off guard when someone dies, is there's this idea of like, you to keep their memory alive, and their memories are what we have now, and they're precious, and they are. And for some folks, like, remembering things is just heart-wrenching and devastating at the beginning and almost becomes a little scary to start thinking of those memories because it's such an emotional response. And I, I wonder if there's an element of having the memory for yourself, but then being the communicator of that memory for your son, if that feel, did that feel different than when you were just thinking of them yourselves? It it does. And it did. Um, because sometimes for me, when it was just myself, it was, you know, there was a lot of pain associated with a certain memory and that's, it still happens. I mean, obviously, but when it's for my son, there's like a, a really, there's a sweetness and there's a purpose and, and there's a lot of love there. And so it doesn't hurt. Like, yes, I have some sadness. Like yesterday he was randomly, he'll bring up my mom probably because I talk about <laughs> all the time. But yesterday he was like, let's call Cece. And I was like, how do I handle this? You know, like I was like, we can't call her. But so it comes up in those ways. But I think that when I, when I introduce those memories to him, it, there is a sweetness to it that is not, it's, it's more um, beautiful than painful. How, how did you handle that? I want to call, let's call Cece. How did you <laughs> navigate that? It was tough and it was interesting because my sister was on, we were in the car, my sister, Amy was on speakerphone. And so she heard it too. And she was like, oh, and it was hard. Like I definitely had a little moment of, you know, inside I, I took a pause. I was like, okay, how am I going to, cause I wish what I, my reply to him was like, I wish we could call her. And he doesn't understand he's six years old. And he's like, why can't we? So it was tough. I mean, I, I didn't break down or anything, but I just inside, I felt kind of a little bit, a little moment of like, let me just take a moment to calm myself. Now I've got more questions about memories. So sorry, <laughs> going a little off off track here. But I, I'm wondering, as I said, like, there are quite a, f there's a commonality for folks of like, at the beginning, those memories can be so intense and, and poignant to the point of like, ouch. And then over time, for many folks, there gets to be like, a little more of that wistful, like, oh, this is how I stay connected. And these memories now feel good. And I know you've talked about you went through a similar uh, shift. Was there anything you did to help that shift? Or did it just feel like a passive like, whoa, phew, that's better now? Um, I, It probably was a little bit of both. I mean, I went in about eight months after my mom died, I went into therapy. That was very helpful. And that probably I'm sure helped a little bit just to, for me to because I thought, you know, for those fir first eight months, I was like, I can handle this. I got this, you know, I have a baby, I have a job, I'm just gonna get back into life. And then I realized I'm not okay. Like I'm, I actually do need help. And so I think probably getting into therapy helped me sort of face the memories and not be, you know, I was so agitated all the time and didn't realize that was a symptom of the grief. So I think that probably helped. Um, and then learning about things like continuing bonds that, I, you know, I, I know nothing, I'm not an expert in grief, so I knew nothing about these things. So just through the process of writing about grief, because, because I am a journalist and then learning about certain things, I, I learned about continuing bonds. And I was like, oh, actually my relationship with my mom and sister can continue in some ways. And that was, I think that helped making the memories not as painful. Yeah, there's something kind of magical about something having a name <laughs> and then it's like a thing you yeah. get to do. And you're like, oh, like I was already instinctually kind of doing this, but now that I know it's like an okay thing, the experts have told me, like now I continue <laughs> these relationships. It's amazing how that works, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, it's, it's a, it has a name. It's fine. <laughs> 
You you mentioned those like early days of grief, those first eight months. Well, I'm guessing this lasted a little longer than eight months of like agitation. And can you say a little bit more like what did that look and feel like for you? Gosh, I was just, you know, I just would get really upset and agitated by really small things. And say if some, a coworker complained, oh, my commute was so long, or somebody was saying, oh, my friend was mean to me, you know, just like little things that normally wouldn't bother me so much. It just really bothered me. And when I'm the therapist I went to said, that's typical in grief, which I'm sure, you know, is that like, you don't have a lot of tolerance for people's, for things that seem petty, right. That before may have seemed like, okay, that's a natural thing to get upset about. Like you've gone through this huge, horrible thing. You've lost somebody that like was everything to you. Why would somebody complain about the grocery store line? So I just, I was just agitated at everything. And then I was like snapping at my husband, snapping at my son who was like two. And I just realized like, that's not me and that's not how I want to be. And I just, I think it was just coming from that feeling of walking through the world and being like, no one knows this big thing that happened to my family and so much anger and just all these emotions that you don't know what to do with. And it just, yeah, it just made me, I think agitated is the, the, the main thing. I just had this image of like, if you get a, a burn like on your finger and your finger is burnt and like normally uh, room temperature water, you wouldn't notice it at all on your finger. And suddenly it hurts so bad. Or if you bump yes. it into a wall or someone hits it, it's like the reaction is so much bigger than it would be if that burn wasn't there. And th- the way you're describing it, it's like your mom and your sister dying, like burned the inside mm-hmm. of what was happening in your life. Yeah, that's a real, that's actually a very good way to put it. That feels, that feels right. Cause yeah, things that normally wouldn't hurt or upset me were just very upsetting. Mm-hmm. I've gotten better about it now. <laughs> Thankfully. Speaking of that, kind of like over time, we're coming up, we're recording in November. So we're approaching the five-year anniversary of your mom's death and kind of wondering, like, how's that feeling for you this year? And is there something that you and or your family do to mark the anniversary? Yeah, so she died um, November 25th, 2018. So right around Thanksgiving week, my birthday is November 26th. So it was the day before my birthday, which I think she actually died the day before. So it wouldn't be on my birthday knowing my mom. Um, so it's funny, even this year coming, it was like October 30th. And I, and I just was like, okay, November's coming. Let me just gear up. Like it just feel November just feels like a thing. Now it feels, um, you know, I just prepare myself because that time my mom went into hospice, um, 10 days before she died, eight days before she died. And so just that whole time period, it's still very vivid for me, for my sisters, for my dad. And so, I just gear myself up emotionally, just even heading into the month. Um, and I don't trudge around the whole month. Like my son's birthday is in November and we have Thanksgiving. And so what we do is we're all together on Thanksgiving, which is helpful to be together during that time. And we have Thanksgiving and we celebrate it. And then we always go to her. Um, she's buried right next to my sister. So we always go visit them. Um, and we make um, the stuffing that my grandmother and my mom used to make is a big thing. Like we have to make it every year. So that's become kind of our way to honor her because Thanksgiving is her favorite holiday. So I think the biggest thing for us is just being together is really important. Cause if I, I used to live in California and now I'm in Texas where they are, like if I couldn't be with them during that week, I would be really tough. So it's very comforting to, to be with them. And then my birthdays, you know, the, I remember the year my mom died, my birthday was the next day. And I told my sisters, like, I'm never going to be able to celebrate my birthday again. Like I just can't. 
and they said, um, mom would kick your ass. <laughs> if you, can I say that? <laughs> but they were like, mom would kick your ass if you stop celebrating your birthday. And I was like, you're right. You're right. So we always do, you know, a cake and, and things like that. So there's a, it's a, definitely a mixture of sorrow and then some joy in there, right? There's birthdays and holidays and things, but it, it's always a hard time of year for sure. As you're talking, I'm getting the sense of your mom being quite the force. Yeah, she was. She was. She was hilarious. <laughs> and you mentioned to you this idea of like, she probably died the day before your birthday, knowing your mom. Were there other ways that you sensed that your mom was trying to care for you and your family as she was dying? Yes, definitely. So during that hospice week, she wasn't really you know, she wasn't speaking. I mean, I know she could hear us, but she wasn't communicating. But, you know, a lot of people will say like somebody who's on hospice, they'll either want to be alone, you know, and they'll often die when people aren't in the room or with my mom, what happened. And I, and I'll believe this forever is that for the first seven days, um, my niece and nephew were there and they were young. I mean, like four and seven or something like that. Cause we were all staying at the house. And so finally, towards the end, my brother-in-law took them back home, like two hours north, um, just to kind of say, you know what, they've been here a long time. Let's get them back in school. So they left. Um, and then that night, my sister, Jackie, who was still alive. Um, so Jackie suffered from alcoholism for years and years, and she was in horrible shape during my mom's hospice. So the only way she could come is like, she literally came in for a couple hours to say goodbye. And so the Saturday that my niece and nephew left and then Jackie came to say goodbye. My mom died that next morning when we, none of us were in the room. So I actually think that she wanted to have her grandkids not there so they wouldn't have to go through that. And then obviously I think she wanted to see Jackie. So I think she was waiting until Jackie came. And then the next morning it was like, none, like we would sit by her side and hold her hand constantly, but we were all just in another room and that's when she passed away. So I think all of those combined was her, kind of her last moments of like, okay, I don't want my grandkids there. I need to see my daughter. And then I'm going to go when they're not in here. So I, I, I definitely believe that's true. Some, some way of her finding an opportunity to die on her own terms. Yeah. Yeah. It, you mentioned the hospice experience, Dina, and it was something that really stood out to me in your book. I'm so sorry for your loss in that that type of death when someone dies of an illness and they're in hospice and they're at home, it sort of gets lauded as this like ideal way of dying. It's probably peaceful and we're all sitting around the bedside holding hands and there's a candle lit and, and your book clearly says that is not the experience for everybody. Uh, so I wondered if you could share a little bit more about that. Yes. So I think, you know, everybody's experience is a little bit different. It depends on your insurance and if somebody's, you know, in a hospice facility or at home. So we brought my mom home from the hospital and I guess I'd watch too many movies where people are, you know, have nursing 24 seven or whatever it is, but, you know, we had our orientation and I just, I didn't know what kind of insurance my parents had. So I assumed there would be somebody there most of the time, but the, the orientation nurse said, okay, so you'll be administering the morphine and then a nurse will come in about, you know, maybe 10 minutes a day. And I remember being like, wait, wait, excuse me. Like, what are you saying to me? Um, so it was very jarring and none of us expected that. Like my, um, other two sisters who were there, we were completely caught off guard and unprepared and it was really hard. Um, we did end up having a night nurse come just so we could sleep, but it just, it was not that like candlelight and it was, 
just emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, everything physically, just totally depleting. And we had to, you know, give her morphine every two hours. So my sister, Amy and I had this barely legible chart, you know, that neither of us is very, uh, you know, organized. I mean, we're organized, but like, we're not type A, I guess you could say. So the chart was like barely legible and we're like, we gave it to her two, And then at four and it was just um, not what I thought. It was really tough. I think about that a lot and how, you know, we always say like grief is different for everyone and there's no hierarchy of grief and no hierarchy of pain. And yet I think there's still this stereotype out there that if you've had someone die by suicide or if you had someone die suddenly in a car crash, that somehow that death is more more grief, yeah. more trauma. And I think it leaves out folks who have gone through like walking their person through minute by minute to the end of their life. And I, I sometimes see that in even in the grief group experience of someone who has gone through a death like you have with your mom, this sense of like, I shouldn't be grieving as much as these other folks. I shouldn't be having these more sensory memories that are really activating in some way. So I don't know if that has been part of your process as well. I mean, I think it's interesting because I had my mom's death where we, we, she was sick for several years. And then we had the eight days to like hold her hand and walk her through it, which is, you know, I say this in the book, it's a very excruciating way to live. Like wait, watching and waiting for someone you love to die is, is it's excruciating. It's absolutely horrible. There's nothing you you're helpless. There's nothing you can do. So I never, I don't think I ever felt like I should grieve less because that was horrible. But then my sister died unexpectedly with, you know, just with a text that I got, um, and a phone call. And so I have had both, you know, kind of the more sudden, um, grief, which they do feel different. I think just the way it impacts you, but I didn't feel any less devastated. Just the fact that we got to hold my mom's hand. But what I will say is we got to say goodbye, which is a big thing that I think a lot of people don't get if it's, you know, suicide or an accident or something like that. Like just the I feel lucky. And this was pre pandemic too. I mean, I think a lot about people that couldn't say goodbye during the pandemic. It's heartbreaking. So the fact that we got that is lucky um, as horrible as it was. And we didn't get that with my sister. So, so I do understand the difference of you're, you're grieving also the fact that you did not get to say goodbye, which is really tough. You alluded to it a bit of how the way your mom died and the way your sister died did impact the way you've been grieving for each of them. How did that look for you? With my sister, I remember it was, um, it was two years after my mom died. And, we, you know, like I said, she suffered from alcoholism for so many years that we always dreaded getting the call, but she had been sober for years. She had been doing really, really well after years of, you know, detoxes, rehabs, just scary times when I thought, okay, I'm going to get a call that she's, you know, dead. So she had been sober and thriving and doing great for a year. And so it was unexpected. And I remember when I, I was on an airplane of all places and we had just landed when I got the call and found out. And the difference, a big difference for me was thinking like, I can't believe we're doing this again. Like, I just, I can't believe we've just been through the most horrible, painful grief experience with our mom. Like, how are we going to do that? Like how as a family and how am I as a person going to get through this? Like it was that was a different thing than with my mom. Um, and so I remember that being, com it compounded the grief because it was a real fear of like, I know what's coming. I know, you know, the emotions. So I got to gear myself up for this. So that was a, a big difference. I'm thinking about what you said of how many people I talked to who are like, until my person died, I had no idea what grief was like. And it was so shocking and so overwhelming. And then yet 
when someone else dies, it's not like it gets easier because <laughs> you know what's coming. It's like, oh my gosh, I know it's like seeing the wave come. And you're like, I remember what that felt like last time that took me out. How did you survive? Well, I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, I, I it's funny because I remember talking to a friend like two days after my sister died, I'd gone to my dad's house and I was standing in, in the yard and I was talking to a, a good friend from college who had just called to see how I was doing. And I remember my voice was just shaking. Like I just, I felt just hollow. I, I don't know. I didn't, I guess I didn't handle it well, <laughs> but it's, you know, I mean, how, how well can you handle it? But I just remember my voice like just shaking and I just felt so, I guess like vulnerable and you're just nerves or it just felt, you know, really tough. But I think what helped again is my family's really close. And so I felt like we kind of walked through it together. And so that was very helpful. Um, and then, you know, having a little kid, my son at that time was three, I think um, that definitely would help me, you know, just distract me and give me a purpose. But it, it was different with my sister. I remember I kind of after the initial devastation and her funeral and all that, I kind of went on autopilot a little bit from grief. Like I remember about two months after she died thinking like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I not crying every single day? Like, why am I laughing at a movie? And so then I started to feel guilty. Like, why am I not racked with grief? And, and I realized that I think I just, it's her survival instinct. <laughs> just, I got to like put it, tamp it down a little bit. And then, it, you know, and then her birthday came around and I had a total, you know, grief cry and all that stuff. But I think I kind of was trying to survive the second time. Were there ways in which that you understood the grief over your mom's death differently through the lens of grieving your sister? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think by that time, because with my mom, it was, you know, like you said, a lot of people will talk to me and say, I didn't know grief until this happened. And so when my sister died, like I could look back at the experience with my mom and real, I, one thing I realized is like my deep grief started when she was diagnosed. She was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in May of 2015. And so going through everything with my sister and then having that double experience, I guess you could call it. Like I, I realized, Oh, actually my grief didn't start the day my mom died. It started several years before, but I just didn't understand that just knowing what grief looks like now. And um, so I could, I could kind of put it in perspective in that way. How did your like cultural and family upbringing shape how you felt like you could, or you couldn't, or how you should, or how you shouldn't be grieving? So I feel very lucky for this that I grew up in a very open and affectionate family. So it was my dad and then like five women. So my mom and four daughters. And so we're very emotional household. Like I didn't grow up being taught, like you have to be stoic and emotions are scary. I grew up understanding that emotions are healthy. It's okay to show it. Um, so I feel very fortunate for that because I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I felt like, oh, this is abnormal to have this big cry in the middle of the hospital cafeteria <laughs> or like what's wrong with me that I'm like, you know, doubled over sobbing. And so I, I feel like that was helpful. Um, you know, not, not being, I feel like there's so many people that are taught to be ashamed of things like therapy or even like going on medication or whatever it is, is like, thankfully my dad is a very open person too. So he went straight into grief therapy. Um, we could talk very openly. So that definitely shaped, I think how I've dealt with it. Cause, um, I met a woman on an airplane in the spring and, uh, we were talking about, she was asking about my book and, and I said, 
it's a book about grief. And she goes, I will not be reading that. And I, I, I wasn't offended because I was like, I know where she's going with this. And she said, I have so much grief in my life and I just close it up and I put it away and I can't look at it. And then at the end of the flight, she's like, I'm so sorry, (laughs) but I just, I feel for her. Like, I think I'll always feel for her because it's like, that seems like such a hard way to, to do grief, right? Like to just not look at it as hard, as hard as it is. I've chosen the opposite. I mean, I wrote a book about it. So I chose to look straight at it. And I think that is my upbringing and, um, you know, I, we were raised Jewish. And so we have certain traditions that have helped us that are, you know, painful, but really beautiful. Like every time you go to the grave, you put stones on the grave and, you know, just certain rituals that, that help us. I was wondering too, Dina, as I read your book about the, um, Southern smile teachings that you got from your mom and how those might've played a role in your grief too. Yes. So, so like I said, my mom was hilarious. I mean, that, that, that's one of the things we all miss so much is her just very unique sense of humor was like one of a kind. Um, so we definitely carry that with us. And, um, you know, she just, she raised us to always laugh. She raised us to always remember our sense of humor about ourselves, about the world. And so the book has a lot of humor in it because I feel like that's, it's helped me as a way to process hard things. And that comes from her. And it's kind of, it's a very kind of Southern thing in a way um, is just even just kind of a little bit of dark humor can help in, in really tough moments. And so my sisters and I, like the hospice chapter actually has a lot of humor in it because we weren't laughing during hospice by any stretch. Um, But afterwards as a way for us to process it, like we look back and we just find moments that were so absurd that we laugh about it. And it, and it helps process our emotions, I think, in a healthy way. And to have so many people around you who get it, who get that humor and the absurdity of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do, no matter where you live, a lot, a lot of people get that, like, you know, that humor is, can be healing. You wrote about as a new to me term, the GIEA, the grief induced emotional avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I love that because I'm always looking for a term for that experience. But what, how did you come to that term? That's actually just for the book. Um, it's definitely not official, but you can take it if you want. But <laughs> it just felt like, like there's certain, you know, I think it, it's often described as like the the tidal wave or the wave that comes. But for me, one thing I learned through grief is it's every emotion at once swirling around and it just, it feel, it feels like an avalanche when it comes out. It's just this crazy cry and it takes so much out of you. And I just, it's how it feels. Um, and I have it not all the time. Um, but occasionally like I had it this spring cause I watch my mom and I used to watch Hollywood red carpets all the time. And so I still do that every year as a way to stay connected with her. Cause she would have hilarious commentary on, she was like, a Texas Joan Rivers. Like she was so funny, but she was sweet. She was a mean. Um, so I watched the Oscars red carpet and the Oscars in March or whatever that was. And thought I was fine. I was like, Oh, these dresses are pretty. Everything's great. And then it just, the avalanche came and I just started sobbing like really painfully to the point where my husband was like, are you okay? And it had maybe 30 seconds it lasted. And then it, and then it was almost like a cleansing thing. Like I got through it and I was like, okay, I'm going to continue watching. But it came out of nowhere. It's not like somebody was making a sad speech about grief. It just came out of nowhere. And so I feel like a lot of people can relate to that sort of avalanche feeling of it's just all the emotions all at once. And you just got to let it kind of go through you. Yeah. And how tricky it can be because you can't schedule them. 
I mean, you might have a sense like, oh, maybe because I'm getting close to anniversary or birthday, but not always. Sometimes, like you said, just a random day in the spring. Exactly. Yeah. There's, you can't control it. And that's, I think people who struggle with grief a lot, it's like they want control and that, that lack of control can be really scary. Um, I think I have a, I have a friend who struggles with that and I've just learned like when it comes, it comes because you you have to remember it will go away. Like when it comes, it feels so intense. Like the scary thing is like, this is going to end, but it will end. You know, if it's 30 seconds, two hours, whatever it is, like it's going to end. You're going to take a breath. You're going to, you're going to continue on. You're going to be okay. I really love the part in your book. I think it might have been the first time you tried to watch a red carpet event and your husband yeah. was like trying like your mom <laughs> to say, make fun of things. And you were like, mm, no, it's actually. No, like you can, yeah, you can go do your woodworking. He still does it. He like, it was just really sweet. He did it this year too. Like he just, he doesn't know. He doesn't care about the red carpet or so he'll just be like, oh, that dress is neat. It has one arm or, you know, I'm like, just go watch basketball. Like it's fine. But he, he tries. It's cute. <laughs> you know, for your book, so sorry for your loss. You interviewed several folks who are professionals in the grief and bereavement world and you are a professional journalist. And I wondered what it was like in this time to be doing your professional work about something that was so personal. This is a really good question because, you know, before I had grief in my life, my focus was not grief as a journalist. And now it's sort of become, I write about other things, but it's become a, a, a big thing that I write about. And it was interesting because I feel like I wouldn't have professionally having not had these personal experiences. I don't know if I would have been able to do these interviews. I would have been really nervous and I would have probably done like kind of softball questions, you know, and, and it was still scary. Like interviewing a parent who's lost a child is scary to me, right. To talk about, but I feel like in doing so now I feel like, okay, I don't have to be timid. Like people want, if they're going to talk to you, they want to talk about their child. They want to, you know, it's, it's not like something they want to just for, you know, you can't forget, but it, it was having the personal and the professional together was very helpful for me. I think just in general, going forward, talking to anybody, because I realize like people want to tell their stories, right. They, they want to be heard. They want their person they lost to be remembered. You know, why, why wouldn't you want to share them? But it was hard at first. I was really nervous about it, but it became one of the most rewarding things about doing the book is having those conversations that like, you just get right into it. I mean, you may be like, Hey, how's your day? But then you're right into the stuff. And they were just really meaningful. And I learned so much from whether it was, you know, palliative care physicians or a grief counselor a psychotherapist or a, just a, a parent or anybody. I just, those connections, I, I will always treasure. It was very helpful. And it helps me in my work now, whether I'm writing about something grief related or not. I think, um, especially when I'm talking to somebody about grief though, I interviewed a musician for Texas monthly who lost his son in February. And that was really tough, but I would not have been able to do it had I not, you know, lived through grief. Was there anything you learned in those interviews that you were like, oh, my family is textbook or my family is not so textbook when it comes to grief? I mean, I think the textbook, as funny as it sounds, is like that everyone does it differently. Like there's not one way to do it. You know, there's certain I'm trying to think how we would be textbook. I mean, we really stuck together like a lot of people have asked, like, did y'all ever fight? Did you argue about like how this was going to go? And like, we really never did. Um, so I don't know if that's common or not common, but we, we got closer in our grief. And I think 
we all are kind of doing it the same way. Like there's not one person who's like, I don't want to talk about it. And then another person who's like, I need to talk about it. Like we're all kind of on the same page with it. So I don't, I don't know if that's textbook. Um, but I think as far as, I don't know if our hospice is textbook, that was a pretty, pretty unique situation. Um, but you know, I don't know. Cause I think everybody does do it differently. Yeah, I would say it's it's common for families to get closer and it's equally common for families to split apart and have a lot of divisiveness around people doing grief differently and having different comfort levels in terms of engaging with grief or yeah, all kinds of, I mean, it, it seems like grief can bring up so much about what we value and what we prioritize in our life. And sometimes those things can look really different even within a family. Yes. Yeah. And it does give you, I mean, you know, I'd rather have my mom and sister here, but it does give you that perspective of like, okay, I'm not going to complain about these little things because we, I'm here today. I'm alive today. Like that's a precious thing. So it, it gives you that, you know, think little thing to remember. You know, it's interesting as someone who works with people all the time talking about having had someone die, I thought like, oh yeah, this is going to really keep me grounded in the like, this stuff is little and it doesn't matter. And I catch myself sometimes when I am complaining about something really mm, trivial, like having so much gratitude that I have the, that I'm in a place where I can complain about something trivial. And I was like, oh, that's interesting for me to track. What a privilege that I get to be like, oh, my shoulder hurts or I can't believe, yeah, how long that line was at the, at the store today. Yeah. And it's, we're human. So obviously we're going to have our complaints and I'm going to get mad if somebody cuts me off in traffic, but it's not that, you know, it's not that horrible. And I think you just have that kind of self check in your brain when you go through something like this, it's like, okay, it's actually, let's keep this in perspective. (laughs) It's not that bad. Is there anything you've learned about grief since you finished your book? I know it got published in April of 2023. I imagine it was finished a bit before then, minus all the editing. Yeah. Is there anything that you're like, oh, if I do a second edition, I would add this about grief? I mean, I love that question. I think, um, I don't know. You know, the one thing that comes to my mind that I didn't put in the book is um, I've lost a lot of friends and that's not in the book at all because I actually had it in the first, uh, the first draft. And even the editor was like, this is a lot. (laughs) Like people have just been through a lot in this book. And now you're introducing like 10 names, you know, like, but I think that that's something that I would maybe look at. And it's a lot of, um, you know, whether it's to um, suicide or, or mental health issues or, or things like that. And I just didn't get into the book because the book was more rooted in like my family's story. But I think that's something I think about a lot, you know, just the commonalities between these people I've known in my life, um, all males. So that may be something that I would look at just because I, I thought about putting it in and it just, you know, it just seemed like maybe another book. <laughs> well, I, I do hope you write that book, Dina, because uh, there is there's a dearth of information and resources out there for friendship grief, especially as adults. And it seems like it gets a little like sideline or dismissed as not family. And yet we know so many people, those friend relationships for some folks can be more uh, meaningful and nourishing than even their familial relationships. So keep me posted on when you write that book. I will. Yeah. Cause it's, um, it's interesting too, cause with social media, it's very, um, strange that, you know, people often like families won't delete accounts. And so I'll get things it's like, Oh, it's Barry's birthday. And I'm like, God, I died like five years ago. You know, it just, that stuff is very unique to our time now. And it's, it's hard to 
cope with it. You know, it's just something we're kind of used to. So I, that was something I, that just goes along with that as well. It's just these were like digital reminders of people. It's kind of hard. It's a new theory, digital continuing bonds. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That you may not always <laughs> want to see. <laughs> Well, Dina, as we come to the end of our conversation today, uh, where can listeners connect with you and your work? So I'm, uh, my website's dinagashmanwrites.com and I post all of my journalism and I, and I do a lot of writing about grief still, um, for New York times and Texas monthly and things. And then I'm on all the, so, well, not TikTok cause I can't, <laughs> haven't quite weathered TikTok yet, but, um, Instagram, I think I'm just dgashman and Twitter and threads. I think I'm either Dina Gashman or D Gashman on my website. It has all that. So that's probably the best, the best bet. And listeners, I say it every time, but I will put all those links in the show notes so you can find them. And Dina, yeah, thank you so much for reaching out to me, for sending me your book, for doing this work and for having this conversation with me today. Thank you, Janet. Thank you for everything you do and, you know, the center. And I think it's, it's so helpful and amazing. And listeners, you know, I say this each and every time, but thank you for being part of our community, for making the show mean something. I really love when I hear directly from you. So if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also our main website where you can find information about our local programming, downloadable resources like tip sheets and activity sheets, and each and every episode of Grief Out Loud. I'm excited as always to share that this podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stefan Endowment Fund. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.